Welcome to The Connectors, a podcast about the people who are building and managing innovative ecosystems worldwide. The exponential growth and demand for innovation from all kinds of players in the global tech world has created new and diverse versions of ecosystems. On the podcast, we will interview different ecosystem managers to learn about their work, find out how they measure their impact, and their ways to generate value for the different stakeholders they work with. We'll explore how they maximize collaborations and hear about their challenges through stories from their day-to-day life, and of course, some insights for the future. My name is Inbal Perlman. I'm the community manager of Google for Startups Campus in Israel, and with me is Nitsan Gal, CEO and co-founder of Click. Hi, Nitsan. Hi, Bob. How are you doing, girl? I'm good. Becoming I'm like good. the, that's how you the, doing, the, girl? That's the Philly thing? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I still okay. have some Philly in me. <laughs> um, and Tua, how are you doing? I'm doing good. We are so happy to have you here today. So Tua Pak, we, did I say it right? Tua Buck. Perfect. Tua Buck. Great. With a, a little bit of a Danish accent. Is a director of Innovation Center Denmark here in Israel. And is actually the first speaker that we have on our show coming in and talking about the ecosystem management of both Denmark and Israel. And we are super excited to have him here today. So let's just dive in. Tell us about yourself a little bit. We'd love to get to know you for those of you who haven't met you before. So I've been in the position for the past three years in Israel. I actually helped start the Innovation Center Denmark here in Israel, which is at the time the number six of, of Danish uh, government private sector initiatives outside of Israel. I've spent the past 20 years building ecosystems, basically, in Denmark. I've been advising a little bit internationally, anywhere from the coast of West Africa to South America, Europe, a little bit in the U.S. And now I had the opportunity for three years to be in Israel. It's an exciting place. Was it like an easy choice to come here? I'd never been before. Uh, I, I'd hardly met an Israeli before, I think. But it was still an easy choice. There was a rumor there was a startup nation here. There was a rumor there was um, a vibrant ecosystem, a vibrant city. So life and work, it, it seemed like a pretty good deal. And it's exceeded the expectations every day. It's fantastic. We also like to We also you. like it. <laughs> Now let's talk about your role as a managing director of this innovation center. Can you share a little bit more information about what it is? How does it operate? So very basically, the, the Danish prime minister uh, at the time decided they wanted innovation centers. They started in Silicon Valley and then they after number six was here in Tel Aviv. And basically the mandate is, you know, connect Denmark business, academia and government into all the exciting stuff that's happening, innovation in Israel. So it's a very broad mandate. The rest I get to figure out with my team. Uh, we get a little bit of funding from the government and the rest we, we make through fundraising from foundations, from private sector engagements and so forth. And that's basically what we're trying to do. And then what we in reality are doing is building fantastic, interesting, novel partnerships. Basically, we're connecting the ecosystem of Denmark to the ecosystem of, you would say, greater Tel Aviv. So anywhere from Jerusalem to Haifa, even up to the north of the Galilee. I think that's what we're trying to do. Very exciting. Can you help us by mapping your stakeholders? Who are the people or who are the companies you're in interaction with from Denmark? And who are the people or sectors or companies that you're in interaction here with in Israel? Mm-hmm. So on the Danish side, we have a couple of institutions that think that they feel like they're our owners and they are, they are also most of them. Uh, so we have government, obviously, different ministries who are giving a little bit of the funding. They feel it's their baby and that's super cool. We have you know the ministers who, who, who see themselves as stakeholders. But also the universities, there's 
about seven major research universities in Denmark. They think of us as their extended arm. So they're a key stakeholder for us. And then we have the whole startup in the private sector. So anywhere from the Danish multinationals, you talk about Novo Nordisk, you talk about Carlsberg, you talk about Lego. They also see us as, as their extended arm into to an innovation ecosystem. On the Israeli side, it looks a little bit different because I think what's what I found that's very unique here is you have academia, they're doing great things, but it's mostly, we're engaging mostly with the commercial side of academia. So all the tech transfer, all the startups coming out of universities and the really forward-looking people within academia sort of looking for innovation that's put to use, not just for publication and great articles. So I think that's the key. And then we're really engaging with the whole venture capital community. We don't have that as well developed in Denmark. You have a fabulous community here. We're trying to build great partnerships with the VC community. And then naturally from that comes the whole incubator scene, both private and the semi-public one. And um, in addition, anybody wants to play really. So we have some some other institutions that, that want to engage with us, but this whole focus on venture capital, startups, and the commercial side of academia, that's really where we're most active in Israel. Sounds like you're working with a lot of different kind of bodies and partners. And I'm curious, when you set the goals and when you, as a, as the director of the Innovation Center and somebody who is working within this ecosystem and developing it, how do you define your goals within so many different actors and players and interests? Because um, you've got to uh, stay focused, at least, we hope. It's difficult. It's difficult because you have stakeholders that point in so many directions. Some of us, they they're looking primarily for the political results, you know, the good story. The showing that we're engaged, that we're connecting to ecosystems seems more a little bit abstract. Others are looking for, you know, great technology. It's a very different KPI. So basically, we have too many KPIs, and we try to tell a different story to whoever's asking, depending on on what right they really what's important to them. That's what makes our job difficult. It's also what it makes it uh, fun. Let's go back three years from that point to now. Now that you're in the ecosystem, you know the players, you know the market. How did you make it happen? Like, how did you start as foreign in the beginning and grew until when you are now? I think the major thing that we did, if you look back three years to now, is we broadened our engagement with the ecosystem and we went from being reactive, listening to what universities and corporates wanted, and became a proactive entity saying, I think for what you're looking for might be this. So we came up, we'd be developing a lot of what we call platforms totally sort of multi-stakeholder platforms, including both the ecosystem here and in Denmark. And I think that didn't exist three years ago. And we have a number of those from ranging from food and ag to cybersecurity to the healthcare field. I think that's a wonderful achievement. Could you give an example for a platform? So Yeah, it's a good question. I'll, I'll give you one example, maybe the longest running one we have in the in the whole food tech space. So there we've, we've built a community really with a couple of VC funds from Israel. Two incubators from Israel, two Israeli universities, Tel Hai and the Hebrew University. And then we built it with a cluster organization, Danish type, which is really an umbrella for the whole uh, food tech industry, with a Danish university and with the Danish government institutions that's helping us fund it. So there you have a very different stakeholders on both sides, and they're all part of the same platform. They meet regularly and they collaborate. So we have all kinds of collaborations between a day we have an Israeli incubator that has a partnership now. with a Danish university. Oh, we didn't see that coming. So that's all happening because of this multi-stakeholder platform. We're basically making a community across two countries with stakeholders that we're bringing together. I won't say we're picking them, but we're inviting them in. And then they can join our platform. 
And where they're literally interacting, like I guess in each country they can meet physically potentially, but how does it happen cross borders? Various ways. It all depends on what makes sense for the organizations involved. Let me give you a couple of examples from the food space. So we have an Israeli investor, a VC fund. They've become a member of the Danish food cluster. So now they're engaging directly with the Danish food community, the established companies and the startup community and looking for the first investments. We have two Israeli universities, Tel Hai, the college in the north, and Hebrew University. They're collaborating with Aarhus University on academia. But at the same time, the kitchen and incubator in Ashdod, run by the Strauss Group, are now also collaborating with the Danish food cluster and Aarhus University. So you have all these kind of collaborations I don't think would have existed if we hadn't built that kind of community. I asked before, but I think I still have it open for me. You land here, and then how do you have all these collaborations? How did you build all this community cluster around EdTech, for example, or FoodTech? So how does it actually happen? You start by drinking a lot of coffee, <laughs> going to a lot of events, and just starting making the calls. I'll be very, I can be very specific. I went, it happened in my third week here. We had the Danish minister for, for business and industry. He was in Israel, had a number of meetings. And in one of the meetings he had where I participated, somebody, one of the VC funds here said, there's going to be a big food tech initiative. So I noted down on my notepad. And then after the meeting, I started calling and asking, where is that food tech thing? Ah, it's in the north, in the Galilee. Okay, give me a name. Oh, it's at somebody at Tel High College. So I call up Tel High College. Say, yeah, it's this guy who's running. It's not really an institution. This guy, he's on, he's on honeymoon in Africa. He'll be back in two weeks. And then you get redirected through people with, you know, who have an interest in helping you. And it doesn't sound so scientific or so structured, but that's really, I think, how Israel works and how you do it. You're trying to figure out who are the thought leaders in this space, who are the ones who would like to play with you, who can see an interest. And then slowly we build it. And we get some friends in the north. Then they invited some investors in. We brought some for the Danish. And then we, after a couple of months, decided, hey, let's have these people meet. So we got a hut in the north. They all went up to the Galilee in the, in the hills above Kirat Shmona. And uh, I had a big game plan and it didn't work at all. But people hit it off greatly and started doing relationship building. And, and then we kept seeing how could I mature it? How could I help them where they didn't have the resources or the time or the money or, or the know-how? Let's say we have uh, somebody listening to us from Japan or from, I don't know what's up with Japan and like Asia. It's stuck in my mind for some reason, listening to you and saying, hey, Israel sounds like Startup Nation. We all know that's the reputation and I want to start doing what you're doing. And what are kind of the, the main tips that you have? Because it looks like you've been doing this for three years that you could share with somebody who is just hitting off and coming to Startup Nation to do what you're doing. So I think there are some tricks that are general. And I think there's some tricks that are unique to, to doing it in Israel as, as a foreign entity. I think the first trick in general is to knock on doors, go out there, meet people. I, th I think that's part of it. You can have all your fancy plans and strategic goals and whatnot, but it really depends on where's the interest in the place that you're coming. So if you're trying to connect with Tel Aviv, you got to find out where's the interest of Tel Aviv. I had my ideas and assumptions, but they didn't all work out because it, it looked different. I think what's unique to Israel, at, at least seen from, from my perspective, is All doors are open in Israel. I think that's unique for the ecosystem here. So I think you can just, I mean, you can't have anybody, they'll meet you. Now they shut really quickly too. So you really need to have your proposal and your value prop ready from day one. And that doesn't work very well, at least with Northern European culture, where we like to think about things. 
We need to make sure that we are well grounded in our decisions. So I think that's a little bit if Japanese or others, I think a part of ICE coming to the startup nation is you need to be ready to engage, you need to be opportunistic, but you also need to know you have a valid proposition ready because the door will shut very quickly as people, they gravitate to another opportunity. One of the big differences in your ecosystems from a lot of others we have here in Israel or in general is the fact that you're business driven. So you have a clear business model, right? Very clear. Can you share more about it? So basically we, we get, you know, two fifths of our funding from the Danish government, a regular yearly grant. And the other three fifths we have to make in the market somehow. And that, I tell you, keeps us on our toes. You quickly learn not to go to uh, diplomatic receptions and uh, that kind of thing if there's no business opportunity there and you need you learn to redirect to where, where the opportunities are in the market. I don't know where that would work for everybody, but I, I do see that makes us for a different beast than some other institutions who have a hundred percent government grant to do something. It, 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 I think that's that's a major difference for us. I think it does because usually we're talking about how do you measure yourself and KPIs and people don't all the time have one, but I think... Business-oriented goals are really clear. And then I'd love to ask, like, how are you measuring yourself other than the money alone? Like, how do you know you're progressing? How do you know you're doing a good job? How do you know you're reaching the level or where you want to be in the market? So I, I think we're still here. I think that's a success factor. They could have shut us down and said, well, we'll rather do some other exciting hop somewhere else. So, so we managed to stay in get our basic funding and have an innovation. And I think that's a major KPI. Another one is that it makes sense for our political leadership that they can see themselves in our success. And they're not looking for the big macro data. They're looking for the stories. They're looking for the cases. I'll give you an example. Danish Minister for Science, he's the one who regulates and, and funds universities. The former who was here was super happy when he saw the real relationship between Aarhus University and Tel High and Hebrew University in the food space. I think that has more value to him than whether we hit a financial KPI or not. So I think those are important in order to stay in the game. And when you look today, going back really into the, the day today, what are some of the challenges that you're facing? Meaning you were already here for three years. You know that people can shut doors on you, but talking a little deeper, things that you still haven't had uh, figured out completely. Oh, there's a lot I haven't figured out, I tell you. Uh, Israel is a complex place and there's a lot of things that, as a foreigner you might never get to. I, I think part of, of what I'm trying to figure out how to work best with the fact that I have nothing to offer. I mean, in Israel, people, you know, you have the ideas, you have the startups, so you think anybody from the outside is sort of a rich uncle who can invest in you in some way or knows an investor. And, and my challenge and my team's challenge is we don't have that. I mean, we do have connections in Denmark, but we have nothing to sort of sweeten the deal, to sort of say. So trying to find those people in the ecosystem who want to work with somebody who doesn't have money, but has something else. And that means you something that's more medium term. We connect them to exciting things, build partnerships, but they're a little more sort of medium term things. I think that's, we're struggling how to figure out and how to keep that momentum going. Because, uh, I mean, Israel is hungry for the next UN investor. And sometimes they're like, why should I work with these uh, cold, strange people from the north? You're way warmer than most Danish people I've met, <laughs> I just have to say, for the reference. Uh, but it, it sounds challenging, like the value proposition that you guys are actually trying to come with and say, hey, let's cooperate, isn't as clear, and Israelis tend to be a little bit tachless. Can you give us an example? You've already talked about some of the, the ministries that were involved, but in Denmark, there's also a, a startup industry, and I don't know how much the listeners are familiar with it, 
maybe some of the interactions that you've seen here that you've taken back home or vice versa, maybe something about the ecosystem in Denmark, specifically talking about startups? That's, that's a great question. But I think two aspects to that. First of all, uh, over the past 15 to 20 years, we've really gone from a corporate nation to a startup nation in Denmark. But in Denmark, startup means people starting companies. Here it means starting tech startup that can be sold for a lot of money. So I used to joke, you know, you have tech startups here, we have hairdressers. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of what type of companies. Is. So I think the journey in Denmark right now is to get more of these startups to grow, not just become five, six person small SMEs, but really become the next Spotify or the next Mobileye or something. And there you sort of far ahead. And I think there's two major reasons for me that I'm taking to Denmark and keep pushing is one is there's a sense of urgency here. Maybe historic, maybe, I don't know, just because that's a myth you have. So that's one. You're ready to do something and you're ready to push anything in front of you to get there. And the other thing is you have a whole sort of ecosystem around it from government funding to VCs to others that are actually make it easier to take that journey. And I think we're missing some of the first, the burning platform, and we're missing some of those institutions on the Danish side. So what we're saying is we're saying, okay, but they have that in Israel. Do we need to have it all in Copenhagen or in Aarhus or some of the other cities? Couldn't we just take the best of the startups from Denmark and use Israel as a lab or a training academy or a connector or something? And that's what we try and do is to take the best of the best of the Danish and even Nordic startups here and then have them engage with the Glilots, the Auerkrauts, the JVPs and the great mentors and some of the other great institutions here and then accelerate that way. In a different conversation we had, you mentioned the fact that It's more complex, not only doing something within Israel, but connecting two different countries with two different languages, cultures. What do you see your role in this connection, in this connectivity? Like, how do you make it happen, although we have so many differences? Again, a great question. And I think one thing that we do is we try to interpret what the other side is really doing and how the logic is on the other side. So I think we work a lot, if you take the startup scene and we work with Israeli startups, not to be too, uh, put everybody in one box, but they kind of an impression in the Israeli startup community that all companies are Anglo-Saxon and they think like the Americans. But Danish corporates don't work like American corporates. So the way that the logic of how to approach them, how to be pushy, when to be pushy, when not, and, and so forth, what things to focus on, is very different. So I teach Israeli startups, they're going to work with the Nordic startups, particularly Danish. You better get your sustainability story, your SDG goal story right. That does. I don't think that matters in Kansas right now. It should, but I don't think it does mm-hmm. as much, but it really does in Denmark. Every year you see a new number one on that ranking, it's a Danish company. This year it was us, I mean, last year it was Christian Hansen, two Danish companies. It doesn't mean you can't do business. It doesn't mean they're not looking for the Israeli technology, but it's a different context. That's one thing we do. The other thing is we sort of, we're a little bit like the coach that has a too eager player. They're ready to get, you know, put into the arena. You're like, you hold their shoulder for a second and say, wait, wait, wait. You know, you may make sure the people get there to meet at the right time. And that their expectations are aligned because you don't want, sorry to say, you don't want the Israeli to burn out too quickly before the Dane gets around to it. So you mentioned how do you prep the Israeli startups, but how do you prep the the Danish companies? I'm interested to learn what they should know about us. I think one of the things that, that we've experienced, particularly we work with the medical field, we work with a lot of hospitals who are looking to innovate through Israel. They have a culture of collective decision making in the executive group. 
It doesn't mean if the CEO travels and they get a great idea, they don't execute on it before they've gone back and discussed it thoroughly with their management team because that they think gets a better buy-in as you progress, which I agree. But that's a slow process. And that's very difficult if you meet an Israeli startup who's thinking, like, doesn't he like me? Doesn't he want to do a deal? He's going back. Did they forget us? And so I work with the Danish company saying, you need to have a mandate if you come here and you're going to engage. Otherwise, they're going to be off with the Chinese or the Americans before you get back with a decision. So I try to push the decision-making, not change the Danish culture, but push the decision-making forward so they have a more clear mandate so they know what they can do with their management team so they don't have to go back and ask them and lose maybe a month or two or three before they return. And I think those kind of things are important if you want to do a match. Sounds complicated to go because you're talking about very deep and underlying cultural differences about the pace, right? When a company takes its, uh, mm -hmm. let's say the management has to take a decision and there's a representative that is being sent here. It's kind of like taking your hand and going right in the kishke, as we say. I'm imagining you get some setbacks from the Danish companies as well. I'm just Sure. Who are you to get into my management practices? I'm the CEO of this thing. You're very nice. Find me three startups, but why are you getting into my, uh, you know, this is the domain for McKinsey. Who are you? So I keep pushing myself and I think we have something to contribute. But but you're spot on. I mean, that's uh, not always easy. The skill set that you're describing, I think we, the, the term that is buzzing lately, I think is emotional currency, where you have to kind of understand the different people around you and the sensitivity. And I'm actually going to be pretty direct here and uh, I'm not going to say names, but we were in an event together and I saw you um, communicating with a VC and it was extremely interesting because there was something about the physical boundaries that I have seen with Israelis being very comfortable and kind of reaching out and touching. And when I was in Copenhagen, it was very clear that the guidelines of uh, touching and talking and you have to be really manum, um, very polite, very manumas. And what I loved about what you were doing is that you kind of came over to this investor and you said, hi, what's up? And you gave him a sort of a chapcha, which is, uh, you know, a touch on the on the shoulder. And it was very open. And I was like, whoa, is this an Israeli guy here or a Danish person? And it kind of looked as though you were already adopting the behavior here and automatically it opened a discussion that was not as, you know, uh, closed with a, a body language that says something else. I agree. And I also thought about it. It was like, for this role, should there be someone in charge from Denmark or from Israel? Like uh, who should run this here as for the fact that there's two ecosystems and you're here in the local ecosystem. That's like exactly what I was... find an Israeli who speaks Danish. I think it's going to be a little complicated, but it's definitely a mixture. I think it looks like you've been able to kind of pick up on some of the cultural ticks of Israelis to, to manage to create relationships. And that probably comes back to your question in the beginning, you know, how's been being here and, and spending time. I, I must have had a secret Israeli inside of me since and it's a coming long time. Out. It's coming out, and it it it, it suits me. It suits me well. Uh, so, but but I I do agree with your observation. I see that sometimes when we bring Danish executives and others, particularly executives who are a little bit uh, used to sort of authority and so on, uh, they have to get a little more used to the laid back and directness and the and the the, the sort of more close personal space here, which is uh, yeah. yeah difference. Moving forward. You're now about to start your next challenge. Can you share a little bit more information about that? Sure. I'm taking up a position up in Copenhagen to be the managing director of what's called Greater Copenhagen, which is trying to build Copenhagen from a great city into a world-class city, including the urban areas of southern Sweden and the extended metropolitan area of Copenhagen on the Danish side. So basically making a Danish-Swedish ecosystem 
around Copenhagen. You're leaving Israel for Sweden? That's what's happening? Did I get that right? <laughs> well, well, Sweden is also a, a great place. We need to teach them a little bit. The weather's bit on... shit. <laughs> but it's an interesting ecosystem and I, I, I wish we could get, I could take some sun with me to Sweden, but uh, unfortunately not. So you're not taking sun probably, but you are taking a lot of insights. Can you share maybe the top three insights that you're taking from this role that you did here into the next one that you're going into? I think my personality has changed a little bit. And the acceptance that comes from Israel that you're allowed to push structures that you don't think are the right ones, even though you don't always have a full mandate to do so. And and I think that might be needed a little bit in my next job if we're going to, to be successful. So I think that's on, on, on the personal level. On, on a more professional level, well, part of my job is looking how do we get more investments into that area. And traditionally, investments have sort of been a caricature here has been sort of can we get a big a, a big you know facility with sort of bricks and mortar on a piece of land and it's a kind of it looks like physical success i think we have to look a lot more for getting startups innovation and getting the whole vc community growing i think that's what's going to be the next phase of of development and i think i would never have come up with that idea with that sort of um, determination if it wasn't for being in israel i think that's what this ecosystem does so well and that's why you have phenomenal growth and development in israel The other part I'll take is also comes from my experience here is you have hospitals here. I've been a little bit involved in the, in the medical sector and you have hospitals here, which are pretty good, but they're not the greatest in the world, but they're really good at fostering and working with innovation. In Denmark, I think you might actually have hospitals that are a little bit better, but they're really not as good on the innovation side. I think that if we can get that Danish side to work, the hospitals to work and in Sweden, wow, we're onto something big because we have a super strong foundation and an untapped potential. I would never come up with these ideas if I hadn't spent three years in this fabulous ecosystem. I have a philosophy question for you. I'm talking with different people about the innovation sector. And in Israel, we get it because it's happening here. But do you think it's like going to be a big sector? Is there going to be a lot of funds around it, specifically in Europe, for example, which is now just starting to get there? Like, how do you see this market evolving in the next few years? There's no doubt that it will evolve in Europe, particularly in Northern Europe. I'm no, there's no doubt that it has to de develop in Northern Europe. So I, I think that's out of the question. I think the difference you have to be aware is that if, I'm, if you're a little bit uh, sort of tough on Israel, you really don't have any multinational companies and you really don't have many companies that are super good at internal innovation. So they've been looking for outside innovation to help them by acquiring, by partnerships and working with the whole startup community. That's sort of become your model. I think part of it, you look to the Danish ecosystem or Germany or Sweden, you have a lot of very big companies that have actually been quite good at internal innovation. Things that developed inside their own system where they don't need as much venture capital from the outside and so forth. So you have to be aware, I don't think it will ever look the Israeli model, but I think there's inspiration to be had and I think there's still something you can do through the, the sort of open innovation, entrepreneurship, startup model that you have in Israel. I think Northern Europe will get there. I think, in, coming back to my new job, if Copenhagen moves before all the others to link super cool with Israel and other hubs, they'll be way ahead. Do you have tips for Israeli founders on how to build good relationships or collaboration with Denmark specifically, but in general with Europe? Yeah, there's a couple of advice. I think, first of all, you need to not do it, do it yourself. You need to find mentors or people in your investor network who knows these geographies well. I know there are some in Israel who, who are very connected to France and Belgium and, and the UK, if you look to Europe. 
but less so in the Nordics and maybe Germany. I think that you need some people around you who know those markets, who know the people who know how to engage there. The second part is you really need to take a close look if you're looking to the corporate sector. You need to take a close look what's on their mind. I mentioned this thing about sustainability. That is major. That is a major push. And, and I think there is incredible opportunities. In Europe in general? In Europe in general, we're much ahead of Israel in that sense, but particularly in Northern Europe and in France. I'll give you an example. If you look to climate, the climate change issue, it's big on the agenda. The Danish government, not the only one, but the Danish government has set the world's most ambitious CO2 reduction target of 70%. Now, that's major. They cannot get that through legislation or new funding. They need new technologies. Are they going to all be homegrown? No, they're going to be coming from Israel, but somebody needs to open their eyes and tweak what they're doing to that. I think that's the major thing you'll see in a lot of companies. You also see some of the big German companies having very ambitious sustainability and environmental targets play into that. You have a great market opportunity. That's a great remark here for Israel because I think people here don't understand it that much yet. And I really like hearing more and more people or industries in Europe getting it really and, and running for that. Um, as we're about to close, I have a question about the future. So you are going to leave Israel soon and start, let's say, bridging another culture to a culture, even though Sweden and Denmark have, I think, more in common um, than Tel Aviv and Copenhagen. Where do you see the, the ecosystem manager role going? You're going to be, again, with a different title, which I think is worth talking about for a second, because in the end of the day, you are operating and developing within an ecosystem. but it's still not your official title there. So if you could elaborate on that looking forward. Here, I'm more of an operator. I do things. I think in my new job, a lot of the things for the community building, I need to entice others to do. I need to find ways to get programs and other things so others will take on some of their roles. I can't... Delegation. Yeah, mm -hmm. delegation and, 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 and building sort of a, a structure, if you sort of say. I know it sounds very European, building a structure, but getting other What players... structure I don't yeah no it's not so Israeli but we know uh, it we know it <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the, the, the key role I think one of the interesting things that I take I don't know how successful I'll be in Denmark is we have a love in Sweden even more we have a love for structure we have a love for plans I think part of Israel is, is, is fascination is you don't have those you just do it you know throw five great ideas into there and see which one flies and then move from there I think we could take a lot. We don't need always as much planning, but maybe more go-do and see what happens. Yep. Amazing. We can help you with that. Thank you so much for your time, Tak, Skol, and we will continue in the language classes later on. Toda Bye-bye.